Section 82 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 10, England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 82. The Chase of Schliff Cullen, an Old Irish Legend. The Fenni were a sort of militia who were in their glory in the 3rd century. Their most famous commander was Finn, and Finn's son was Oisin, or Oisin the poet. According to tradition, Oisin lived till the times of St. Patrick, and related to him the following tale together with many others. Even today, the belief lingers that the waters of the little lake Schleve Kalin have the power to turn the hair gray. In the Irish legends, the Daedonans are magicians. The Editor Culland, the smith of the Daedonans who lived at Schleve Kalin, had two beautiful daughters, Melucra and Ina. They both loved Finn, and each sought him for her husband. As they walked together one evening near Allen, they fell to talking of many things, and their conversation turning at last on their future husbands, Ina said she would never marry a man with gray hair. When Melucra heard this, she resolved with herself that if she could not get Finn, she would plan so that he should not marry her sister, Ina. So she departed immediately, and turning her steps northwards, she summoned the Daedonans to meet her at Schleifkalin. Having brought them all together, she caused them to make her a lake at the top of the mountain, and she breathed a druidical virtue on its waters, that all who bathed in it should become gray. On a morning not long after this, Finn happened to be walking alone on the lawn before the palace of Allen when a doe sprang out from a thicket, and passing quite close to him, bounded past like the wind. Without a moment's delay, he signaled for his companions and dogs, but none heard except his two hounds, Bran and Skolan. He instantly gave chase, with no other arms than his sword, Manalona, and accompanied only by his two dogs, and before the Fenny knew of his absence, he had left Allen of the green slopes far behind. The chase turned northwards, and though the hounds kept close to the doe, the chief kept quite as close to the hounds the whole way, and so they continued without rest or pause till they reached Schleifkalen, far in the north. Here the doe made a sudden turn and disappeared, and what direction she took, whether east or west, Finn knew not, for he never caught sight of her after, and he marveled much that any doe in the world should be able to lead Bran and Skolan so long a chase, and escape from them in the end. Meantime they kept on searching. Finn taking one side of the hill and the dogs another, so that he was at last left quite alone. While he was wandering about the hill and whistling for his hounds, he heard the plaintive cry of a woman at no great distance, and turning his steps towards the place he saw a lady sitting on the brink of a little lake, weeping as if her heart would break. Never before did the chieftain see a maiden so lovely. The rose color of her cheeks was heightened by her grief. Her lips were like ready quickenberries. The delicate blossom of the apple tree was not more white than her neck. Her hair fell in heavy golden ringlets on her shoulders, and as she looked up at the chief, her eyes beamed like stars on a frosty night. Finn accosted her, and seeing that she ceased her weeping for a moment, he asked her had she seen his two hounds pass that way. I have not seen thy hounds, she replied nor have I been at all concerned in the chase, for, alas, there is something that troubles me more nearly, a misadventure that has caused me great sorrow. And as she spoke these words, she burst out weeping and sobbing more bitterly than before. Finn was greatly moved at this, 
so much so that he quite forgot all about his hounds and his own troubles, and he asked her, What is the cause of this great grief, gentle lady? Has death robbed you of your husband or your child, or what other evil has befallen you? I am much concerned to see a lady in such distress, and I wish you to tell me if anything can be done to lighten your sorrow or to remove the cause of it. She replied, I have a precious gold ring on my finger which I prize beyond anything in the world, and it has fallen for me into the water. I saw it roll down the steep slope at the bottom till it went quite out of my sight. This is the cause of my sorrow, and thou canst remedy the mishap if thou wilt. The Fenny are sworn never to refuse help to a woman in distress, and I now put on thee those geza, i.e., I solemnly adjure thee, that true heroes dare not break through, to search for the ring, and cease not till thou find it and restore it to me. Though the chief had at the moment no inclination to swim, he could not refuse a prayer urged in this manner. So he plunged in without a moment's hesitation, and examined the lake on all sides diving and searching into every nook and cranny at the bottom. After swimming in this manner three times round and round the lake, he found the ring at last, and approaching the lady, he handed it to her from the water. The moment she got it, she sprang into the lake before his eyes, and, diving down, disappeared in an instant. The chief, wondering greatly at the strange behavior, stepped forth from the water, but as soon as his feet had touched the dry land, he lost all his strength, and fell on the brink a withered gray old man, shrunken up and trembling all over with weakness. He sat him down in woeful plight, and soon his hounds came up. They looked at him wistfully, and sniffed and whined around him, but they knew him not, and passing on, they ran around the lake, searching in vain for their master. On that day the Finney were assembled in the banquet hall of the Palace of Allen, some feasting and drinking, some playing chess, and others listening to the sweet music of the harpers. While all were in this wise pleasantly engaged, Kilta Macronan stood up in the midst and said in the hearing of all, I have observed, friends, that our master and king, Finn, the son of Kamal, has not been amongst us today, as is his wont, and I wish to know whither he is gone. This speech caused a sudden alarm amongst us, for no one knew aught of the chief, or was aware till that moment that he was absent at all, and we knew not wherefore he had disappeared or whither he had gone. In the midst of our anxious tumult, the envious and foul-mouthed Conan Mall stood up and said, I have never heard sweeter music than your words, Kilta. The Fenny are now about to seek for their king, and my only wish is that their quest may last for a whole year and that it may prove a vain search in the end. Be not cast down, however, O Finney. If you should fail to find the son of Kamal, you will not be so ill off as you think, for I will undertake to be your king from this time forth. Though we were at the time more inclined to be sad than mirthful, being weighed down with much anxiety, we could not help laughing when we heard the loud, foolish talk of Conan Mall, but we took no further notice of him. Inquiring now from the lesser people about the palace, we found that the chief and his two dogs had followed a doe northwards. So having mustered a strong party of the Fenny, we started in pursuit. Kilta and I took the lead, the rest keeping close behind, and in this order we followed the track, never taking rest or slackening speed till we reached Schleipkalin. We began to search round the hill, hoping to find either the chief himself or some person who might give us tidings of him. After wandering among brakes and rough rocky places, we at last espied a gray-headed old man sitting on the brink of a lake. I went up to him to ask a question, followed by the rest of the Fenny. 
At first I thought he might be a fisherman who had come up from the plains to fish, but when we came near him he seemed so wretched an old creature, all shriveled up with the skin hanging in wrinkles over the bare points of his bones, that I felt quite sure he was not a fisherman, and that he was reduced to that state more by sickness and want than by old age. I asked the poor man if he had seen a noble-looking hero pass that way, with two hounds chasing a doe. He never answered a word, neither did he stir from where he sat or even look up, but at the question his head sank on his breast, and his limbs shook all over as with palsy. Then he fell into a sudden fit of grief, wringing his hands and uttering feeble cries of woe. We soothed him and used him gently for a time, hoping he might speak at last, but to no purpose, for he still kept silent. Then at last growing impatient, and thinking that this might be a mere headstrong humor, we drew our swords and threatened him with instant death if he did not at once tell us all he knew of the chief and his hounds, for we had felt sure he had seen them. But he only lamented the more, and still answered nothing. At last, after this had gone on for some time, and when we were about to leave him, he beckoned to Kilta Macronan, and when Kilta had come near, the old man whispered into his ear the dreadful secret and then we all came to know the truth. When we found that the withered old man was no other than our beloved King Finn himself, we uttered three shouts of lamentation and anger, so loud and prolonged, that the foxes and badgers rushed affrighted from their dens in the hollows of the mountain. Conan now stepped forward looking very fierce, and unsheathing his sword with mighty bluster, he began in a loud voice to revile Finn and the Fenny with the foulest language he could think of and he ended by saying that he meant to slay the king that moment. Now, O Finn Macomo, I will certainly strike off your head, for you are the man that never gave me credit for valor or praised my noble deeds in battle. Ever since your father, Kamal of the Host, was slain on the field of Naka by the clan Morna of the Golden Shields, you have been our bitter foe, and it is against your will that any of us are now alive. I am very glad to see you, Finn Macomo, brought down to what you now are, and I only wish that the rest of the clan Baskin were like you. Then should I very soon make short work of them all, and joyful to me would be the task of raising a great carn to their memory. To which Osgar replied with great scorn, It is not worth while drawing a sword to punish thee, Conan Maul, vain and foolish boaster as thou art. And besides, we have at present something else to think of. But if it were not for the trouble that now lies heavy on us on account of our king, I would of a certainty chastise thee by breaking all the bones of thy mouth with my fist. Cease, Osgar, returned Conan in a voice still louder than before. Cease your foolish talk. It is actions and not words that prove a man, and as to the noble warlike deeds done in past times by the Fenny, it was by the clan Morna they were performed, and not by the chicken-hearted clan Baskin. The fiery Osgar could bear this no longer. He rushed towards Conan Maul, but Conan, terrified at his vengeful look, ran in amongst the Fenny with great outcry, beseeching them to save him from the rage of Osgar. We straightway confronted the young hero and checked him in his headlong career, and after much ado, we soothed his anger and made peace between him and Conan. When quietness was restored, Kilta asked Finn how this dread evil had befallen him who was the enchanter, and whether there was any hope of restoring him to his own shape. Finn told him that it was the daughter of Kulin the smith who had transformed him by her spells, and then he recounted how she had lured him to swim in the lake, and how, when he came forth, he was turned into a withered old man. 
We now made a framework litter of slender poles, and placing our king on it, we lifted him tenderly on our shoulders, and turning from the lake, we marched slowly uphill till we came to the fairy palace of Schlivkalen, where we knew the daughter of Kulin had her dwelling deep underground. Here we set him down, and the whole troop began at once to dig, determined to find the enchantress in her cave palace, and to take vengeance on her if she did not restore her chief. For three days and three nights we dug without a moment's rest or pause, till at length we reached her hollow dwelling, when she, affrighted at the tumult at the vengeful look of the heroes, suddenly started forth from the cave and stood before us. She held in her hand a drinking horn of red gold, which was meant for the king. Yet she appeared unwilling, and held it back, notwithstanding the threatening looks of the finny. But happening to cast her eyes on the graceful and manly youth Osgur, she was moved with such admiration and love for him that she wavered no longer, but placed the fairy drinking horn in the hands of the king. No sooner had he drunk from it than his own shape and features returned, save only that his hair remained of a silvery gray. When we gazed on our chief in his own graceful and manly form, we were all pleased with the soft silvery hue of the gray hairs. And, though the enchantress appeared ready to restore this also, Finn himself told her that it pleased him as it pleased others, and that he chose to remain gray for the rest of his life. When the king had drunk from the horn, he passed it to Macrath, who drank from it in like manner and gave it to Daring. Daring, after drinking, was about to hand it to the rest, when it gave a sudden twist out of his hand and darted into the loose earth at our feet, where it sank out of sight. We ran at once to recover it, but, though we churned up the earth deeply all around, we were not able to find the drinking horn. This was a disappointment that vexed us exceedingly, for if we had all drunk from it, we should have been gifted with a foreknowledge of future events. A growth of slender twigs grew up afterwards over the spot where it sank into the ground, and this little thicket is still gifted with a part of the virtue of the golden drinking horn. For anyone who looks on it in the morning fasting will know in a moment all things that are to happen that day. So ended the chase of Schlevkalin. And in this wise it came to pass that Finn's hair was turned in one day from golden yellow to silvery gray. End of section 82. This recording is in the public domain.